Romans chapter 10. The heading for chapters 9, 10, and 11 combined together is basically warning against unbelief. Um, and we see that Israel showed unbelief toward the gospel and basically what happened to Israel. And it's a warning towards us against unbelief of what we just heard and were taught in Romans 1 through 8. So in chapter 10, we're basically still seeing that. We'll be in that, underneath that until the end of Romans chapter 11. So, Romans chapter 10, of the heading, the first heading that we're going to see is Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law, verses 1 through 4. Now, because we've gone through Romans 1 through 9, uh, we've already seen how Christ is the end of the law. Remember, we talked about it in, I want to say, 4 or 5. Anyway, so we're, we should be able to move pretty good through all this, but... Uh, so Christ is the end of the law, verses 1 through 4. And let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear the record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I love how when it's the true gospel, it just seems like everything lines up together. Every message just happens to line up and everybody agree. It's just all in agreement. Just like my dad basically said that when he, he was younger, he listened to K-A-J-N, and he was so confused, everything contradicted. I'm so thankful that that doesn't happen here. That's right. Because a lot of things that my dad preached this morning, you're going to hear the same thing. You might hear it a little bit more in detail because he's preaching, not teaching, so he doesn't have the time to break it down as I basically have a little bit more freedom and time to do that. But So you're going to hear a lot of things that you already heard. And then the good news also that I, I'm preaching next week and basically my dad just, during, he didn't know this, but during his sermon, something that he just said confirmed that I got the right message. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I love when that happens. That's good when that Okay, anyway. Alright, let's get to this. Okay. The Jews, remember, we're some, I'm not I'm not going to say verse 1, verse 2, we just summarize. I know we've kind of gone through the whole chapter 9, but it's going to be a summary. So, kind of, hopefully you guys will be able to remember what we read in verses 1 through 3. Okay. The Jews' zeal for God was not conditioned nor characterized by a complete, but rather a partial, insufficient knowledge which because insufficient led them astray as to the method whereby they could appropriate salvation. This is like a lot, right? It's a yeah. Yeah. I'll just give you a real easy way to understand it. Zeal is good, but only with the correct knowledge and object of faith. Without, you can be zealous. Zealous. I always say it wrong. I always say zealous. 
You can be zealous and wrong. That's right. Yeah. 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 Biggest problem with young ministers, and I'm in the category. We got so much zeal for God. Praise God. We have so much. It, the zeal is just there. The problem is, what is not there? The correct knowledge of us is not This is not thus saith the Lord. This is me. Thus saith Tanner. Thus saith Tanner. If you don't agree, it's not a big deal. But this is my opinion. A young minister, especially newly saved, but that is called into ministry by God. We talked about somebody that is truly called by God. Does not need to just begin to preach right from the jump. Yeah, that's right. Because though very zealous is going to say some wrong things. And kind of what my dad was saying, we just... Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Bless his heart. He's got so much zeal. It is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we just think zeal is just good enough. Praise God. He gets so excited. He's got so much zeal for the Lord. And that's just good enough. That's not good enough. Right. So Israel had the exact same thing. Yes. Zeal, what they had, yeah. had wrong knowledge. That's it. That's it. And although zeal without correct knowledge and the right object of faith causes Damage. Yes. They crucified their Messiah. I'd say that's damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul, who had zeal, and Paul says this in I think it's Philippians. So much zeal, he persecuted the church. That's true. Yeah. And but he said that was from zeal. That's what he was saying. That was from zeal. I was. I had so much zeal. I was killing Christians. Yeah. But because my knowledge was wrong, yeah. Yeah. my zeal was no good. Yeah. Though I had it, zeal within itself is not enough. Right? A young minister should always learn, learn, learn. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that everyone has to go to Bible college. But I will say that if you have the chance, go. If you're called to be in ministry and you have the chance to go to Bible college or maybe not college like I went, but a time of learning. Paul, after he received the new covenant or after he met Christ, disappeared for a period of time. Yes, he did. Yeah. To relearn everything that he had previously learned. Mm, yeah. He was basically hidden, tucked away in the backside of a de- desert, basically, in order that he would relearn what he learned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's okay to not preach. Yeah. Even if you're called to preach, it's okay to not preach for a season. Sometimes, especially as a minister, you think, oh, no, I've got to preach. It's okay. 
It's okay. Sometimes the best place that you can be is at the feet of Jesus. Boy, that's the truth. It's not sometimes. It's always the best yes. place. But yes, you don't always have to preach even though you're called. Yeah. Take some time. One of the things, me, I've talked to Sarah about this. It's okay for a time of quietness and learning. And no matter how old you are, right. it's okay for a time of quietness. That means you're not preaching. You're not in the front. God's taking you and He's putting you on the shelf for a little bit. Because yeah. some things need to happen. You need to maybe either relearn, especially when it comes to the message of the cross. That's, mm -hmm. I've seen that. Time's got to come, but there's got to be some relearning. And if you fight the relearning part, you say, well, no, I've got to stay up here. No, God's, I've got to stay. If you fight that, it's going to take longer. And you ain't hurting not only yourself, but those that you preach to. Right? That's true. Quiet. Zeal. Zeal is good. But only with the right knowledge. And the right object of faith. Israel didn't have. They had zeal though. You could not say that Israel did not have zeal. <laughs> yeah. Israel had the word of God. But they simply ignored it. The church. As Israel of old. Professes to know the way of God. So their ignorance. Is a contrived ignorance. Which results in a judicial blindness. Even though the church has the word of God and purports to know the word of God, still it chooses to ignore what God has said about these matters, thereby substituting self-righteousness for God's righteousness. Yeah. Israel had it, ignored it, rejected it. The church is not off the hook. Right. Yeah, you're right. That's right. We're, 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 not, we're not there yet. God's righteousness is not a philosophy, a theory, a church, or a law. It is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is not a philosophy, a theory, a church, or a law. It is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word establish means to set up. Okay, Dan, could you say that again? Uh, righteousness is not. God's righteousness is not a philosophy, a theory, a church, or a law. It is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's good. All right. God's righteousness is Jesus. Yes. God's righteousness is Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get it. <laughs> the word establish means to set up. And I'm, I'm just going to read it so that we know where I'm coming from. Verse 3. For they being ignorant, talking of Israel, of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness. Okay. So the word establish means to set up. In effect, they would erect 
a righteousness of their own as a monument to their own glory, not to God's. So Israel was going about attempting to set up, establish, set up their own righteousness. Look what we do. Yeah. Look what we have. Look how we dress. In the words of Paris, religious resume. Look. Look at us. So imagine setting up a monument about your righteousness. Right. Because we don't want to forget it. Right, right. That's good. So we just need to. So Israel was attempting to set up a monument for their own righteousness. Because if it. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, of God's way of righteousness, which is Jesus, and going about to establish their own righteousness, setting up their own righteousness. The word going about means to seek. In other words, to seek something which was not necessary to seek and because it had already been provided. So Israel is seeking out to set up a monument for their own righteousness when they don't need it. And God won't even accept it. If you, if if Sarah didn't know, Sarah is ignorant to God's way of righteousness, which is faith in Christ. What is Sarah going to do She's going to go about to set up her own righteousness. She's seeking to find a way to be righteous. Right. And then if I tell Sarah, Sarah, by faith in Christ, the righteousness that you're looking for, that you know that God desires, and that you have to have, or else that righteousness that you're looking for is found in Christ. And Sarah rejects what I've told her. And she keeps seeking about to set up a righteousness that she doesn't need because she already has it in Christ if she'll just apply faith. So, Sarah's doing what? Wasting her time. And she's seeking out something that she doesn't need. And Sarah's going to be, one of the things that Sarah's going to be following rules, regulations, routines, doing certain things, not doing other things. And then she's going to be have all the and she's probably have fence laws because anytime that there's yeah, a law, we gotta have a fence law See, to make sure that we saying. don't get there. So Sarah's going to have all of this, all and she doesn't need it. Yeah. Just like the Jews couldn't follow the Ten Commandments, so they made fence laws. Fence laws, you know, to try to, to make them, sure, yeah, you know, right. make sure they established fence laws, you know. So we do the same thing, just in other ways. Yes, yeah, yes, you would. You would do the exact, actually you, you have, guaranteed, you have placed, and you might not have known it was a fence law, but you did. You had a fence law in order to, what you thought, because you thought the fence law would help you 
Let me help you with one that we don't view as a fence law. Because we're deceived by it because it's in the Bible. And because we interpret it wrongly. And we use it, we would use something on, but we use something inappropriately. If my dad, sorry, if my dad has a problem with a certain type of sin in his life, and he, 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 he's trying to get victory over it. It's not that he, he loves the Lord. If he wasn't trying for it, he wouldn't be setting up no law. Right. Yeah. If he didn't desire to be right with God, he wouldn't set up a fence wall. So the fact that he, that tells me his heart is for God. There's a fence wall that he sets up because whatever the sin is, he, he can, just can't get victory over. So my his, the fence wall that he sets up is, I need to pray for an hour each morning, fast at lunch, and then pray for an hour at night. And that is going to help me not to break such and such. Right, right. Not to do such and such. And no. read so many chapters that well, no, it it's won't. Law. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not. It's Are you going to be blessed in your time that you spend the Lord in the hour, in the two hours of prayer each day, and then the fasting that you read your scripture? Yes, you yeah, will, you but know. you will not get what you see. It's not, not a big And then I pray again at night for an hour. And that's our answer for how we got victory. No one says, I just trust in God. <laughs> Yeah. Right. No one says that. We begin to say what we did. That's true. Yeah. yeah let me. Uh, can I give an example? Something that mm -hmm. that some you know some fence laws or we are, that are not necessarily bad things in themselves. Mm -hmm. They actually can be very wise to do. It depends on why you're doing them. Yeah. Oftentimes, uh, I give you an example. I mean. Uh, there's several examples. Paul could have, would, have, would have called some of these things, uh, you know, um, I'm being, uh, it, that's not sinful, but actually, no, that's not a good example. <laughs> all right, so uh, Billy Graham, uh, we, we all know Billy Graham. We don't know him personally, but we know who he is. Uh, one of the things that he, he established early on in his ministry is that he would never be alone with a woman. Ever. He would never find himself alone in the woman. It is said of him that even if he was waiting for an elevator, if the elevator opened and it was just a woman in there, he would not get in. He would wait. Uh, but he wouldn't travel by himself. He was he was always with somebody. Now, it is said that he did this for the sake of the gospel, uh, which is very wise and very proper. Uh, it was so that nobody could speak evil of him uh, and somehow hurt the gospel. This is how Paul would also view these types of things. Now, here's where it, here's where it can become a, a fence law that's not a proper thing or it's not helpful. If his concern is not for the sake of the gospel, but for victory. And his plan is to set up, well, I, would never, I don't want to ever be alone with another woman because if I would, I, I might sin. I'm probably sin. So I, I'm just going to make sure that that never happens. That's putting up a fence law yeah. to try to gain the victory yeah, over it. You yeah. know, 
understand. Would you stop and think about it? Those are it's the same thing, but if you if you make it a different reason, then one becomes something that's actually bonded. It, 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 you're not ever you're never getting the victory over the problem mm-hmm. in your heart. I mean, imagine telling your wife, "Honey, don't worry. I'm going to make sure I'm never alone with a woman." Because if I would, I'd probably, you know, <laughs> well, she's not going to be very happy about that. No, that's not going to be exciting to her. So, the, the, so it becomes something you're trying to gain victory over, and you're, and you're setting up fence law. And so, uh, I think that's that's a good example of, of fence laws. If we're doing these things to try to gain victory or to keep from mm-hmm. sinning, then we're we're not we're never going to have real victory in our life yeah. because it can't come from that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, on that, I don't know so much if it, it's a fence law or if it's just protecting him against a lawsuit for anything. anything. Oh, no, Anybody not, can make up anything, anytime, he, anywhere. That was my point. I don't think his reasoning was for victory. His reasoning was for the sake of the gospel, which is proper. That's a proper thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I was saying if it, if it was for the other way around, then yeah, then it becomes just a fence law that actually doesn't give you any victory right. at all in your life. The righteousness the Jews desired was a righteousness that was in character their own. One mixed with their own endeavors, the product of their own efforts, one that would glorify themselves, not one handed to them as a gift for which they would feel obligated to thank him. They claimed to keep the law when they were not, and also they made a religion out of the effort. Without the correct object of faith, we will try to establish our own righteousness. The Jews would have to discard all dependence upon self and self-efforts for salvation, but also the heart's submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord. This the Jews would not do. We must submit to God's way and plan to receive righteousness. If we attempt to circumvent the plan of God in any way regarding Jesus Christ, we forfeit salvation. Submission must be to Christ alone without tacking anything onto the conditions of faith. The moment anything is tacked onto Christ, we forfeit salvation and Christ. That's why I can boldly say that certain things to faith in Christ, you're not saved. Well, how can you know that? Because the moment you add something to Christ, faith in Christ and what he did, you add something to that and you say you need that also to be saved, you forfeit it. Salvation. You've made Christ and what he did at Calvary meaningless. If you say, yes, faith in Christ, but also, you've got to be water baptized. What you just did was say that it's not by faith alone. You're right. Yeah. In Christ. You're right. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. That is what you're saying, whether you yeah. realize it or not. You're saying that if you aren't, 
if yes, faith in Christ is a must, but if you are not water baptized, then you're not saved. That's what you say. So it's not just what Christ did alone at the cross for salvation. When you say that, even though they won't actually say that. But you have, if you add that in and say, no, water baptism must be in order for them to be sick, then you forfeit Christ. Yeah. It's empty. Yeah. He died yeah. in vain. Then. Yeah. I think another good example of that, uh, Tanner, is a former Catholic. We believed in purgatory. And so that meant that if they weren't good enough to go to heaven, they had to go to purgatory. And people had to pray them out of there. So in other words, it wasn't good enough what Jesus did. Right, right. See, that wasn't good enough. Well, the, the Catholic Church, one of the big things with the Catholic Church is that if you don't belong to the church, yeah. Yeah, well, you, yeah, can't yeah, yeah, you can't so be saved. Well, yeah, okay, so then it's not faith in Christ. Yeah, it's not. Well, no, it is, but you got to be a part of the Catholic Church. No. It doesn't matter how you try to slice it, cut it, or even make it sound. What you did is you added something to the work of Calvary and faith in that alone. And when you do that, sorry, you forfeit salvation. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what scripture bears out. Yeah. That's true. If you don't agree with it, I'm sorry, your problem isn't with me, it's with God's plan. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah that's true. Of salvation and probably because it ruins your theology. Mm -hmm. That you have already, your belief already, and that's where we rip. That's where the rubber meets the road yeah. between you and God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's not what I believe. Well, are you willing to change, or will you stand firm? Or will you tell God how to ruin heaven? Israel wasn't willing to change. Well, that's what it means. Israel wasn't willing. To change. Yeah. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ fulfilled in totality the law, both ceremonial and moral. The law pointed to Christ in every respect. The law still has a purpose, and if used properly, Christ is our righteousness and source of righteousness, not the law or keeping of it. The law is right if it's used lawfully. Well, how can the law be used lawfully? To show that you're a sinner. Yeah. That's yeah, the whole point of it. The whole point of the law is to show you that what? You're not God. Yeah. You're not like God. Yeah. Yeah. The law shows God. Yeah. So we think, I'm going to keep it. You're not God. Yeah. You can't keep it. You can't render obedience to it because you're not God. The whole purpose of the law was meant to show you you are not like God. You fail. Yeah, that's true. You fall. Say that way better to understand. You, we fall. Yeah. You are sinful. That's what the law is meant to show you. Yeah. So if you go about trying to be obedient to the law and think that you're going to gain righteousness that way, the only thing that you're going to gain is condemnation and a curse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the curse of the broken law is death. And you won't be able to keep it. You're going to break it, which means you're condemned to death. Yeah. 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 Living by law doesn't sound so good now, does it? Yeah. 
<laughs> when I tell you the truth, when you get when you know the truth about it, it doesn't sound so great. Submit to the truths of the cross, faith and grace. Submit to God and His process. Submit to the faith. When you when you use the word submit or obedience, a lot of times, what's the first thing that you think? Law. Okay, I gotta. Yes, obey God. Do this. Don't do that. We're trying to break you that thought process because that's the law mindset. Obedience to what? The faith. What was the faith? Faith in Christ and what He did. Be obedient to that. Keep keep your faith in Christ. If you keep your faith in Christ and what He did at Calvary, you are obedient to the faith. Praise God. That lifts a thousand pound weight off of my shoulders. Because I'm going to blow it. But being obedient is obedient to the faith. Keeping my faith in Christ. I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to blow it. But I don't fail if I keep my faith in Christ. I can always find forgiveness. The perfect righteousness of Christ. The non-stop cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And then that's where I'll find victory over the thing that I stumbled over. Everything that I need is right there. That's true biblical obedience. And when you get that obedience right, I just tell you, the Holy Spirit has the latitude, the freedom to work in your heart and life to where you actually find that you are obedient. Yeah. Yes. In your actions. Mm. Obedience to the faith. When you get that obedience right, you, you'll begin to see in your daily walk what we're going to call righteousness realized. Mm. Like the righteousness that you have in Christ, you have it by faith. And if you keep your faith in Christ and what He did at Calvary, on a daily basis, you'll begin to see the thing that you want to see the most. The righteousness that you already have in Christ being exhibited through your daily life. That means you're going to love people. With a God kind of love. You're going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Christ said if you do that, you fulfill the whole law. When your faith is in the right object and you keep it there. And you keep it there. And you keep it there. Then the righteousness that you want to see, that you know you have in Christ. That just, you don't always show out, you know, through the day of life. You're going to find that it's going to start happening. Yeah. Yeah. And when it does, people be like, man, pray, you such a great testimony for Christ. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, he's done everything. And you're not trying to set up any monuments. The only thing you're trying to set up is Christ. Man, you just, you're just so Christ-like how you just love people all the time. And you don't even realize, what? I'm just looking at Calvary. What he did for me, praise God. 
and all the good. You, you, if that's happening, you'll never hear somebody say, I do this, this, and this. Right. Right. Man, how do you get like, Jesus paid it all? Yeah, that's it. That's all it. to him I owe. Yes. Amen. Yes. Praise yes. God. So there ain't nothing that you do. Jesus paid it all. All to him I Sin, I left a crimson stain. He washed in my soul. Yeah, but brother, if I see you got a prayer life like Paul, man, praise God. You got to be doing something. Jesus paid it all. All to him I Sin, I left the crimson stain. He washed in Now you live in a Christian. Now you're walking in the faith. Now you're seeing fruit of the Spirit. Like what you read that they came back with. The spies came back with. Said fruit so big. I'm just insane. Joshua fruit so big. I'm just crazy. <laughs> they come to the promised land, they come back and say, The fruit is so big, you're never going to believe it. Right. Well, what are we talking about? Fruit of the Spirit. Right. When you're in the promised land, which is everything that we have in Christ, you possess the whole promised land. Everything that you have in Christ, you possess that promised land. You walk in the faith on a daily basis. You got victory over the enemies in the promised land. Yes. That's how I know that it's not heaven because there are no enemies in heaven. That's right. That's what we have in Christ. That's the promised land. Everything that total victory over sin. That's in the prom that's the promised land. Salvation. Glorification. Justification by faith. Sanctification yes. by yes. faith. Yes. Yes. Joy yes. of the Lord. Peace. Yes. Encouragement. Strength. Yes. Everything that we healing. Thank you. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. My Lord, that's all in the promised land. There are enemies there, but that's all the promised land. Yes. Go possess the land. Yes. He's already done it, and God's Glory. already that's defeated it. all that's the it. enemies that's in the promised land. Go take it. Go take it. Go take it. But it has to be God's way. Go take it. Everything and there's fruit of the Spirit like you ain't never seen when you're walking in the faith. Love. Fruit of the Spirit. You want to see a fruit of the Spirit so big when it comes to love like you ain't never seen before. When you start walking in the faith on a daily basis and the fruit of the Spirit is exhibited in your life, I'm going to tell you right now, you'll be blown away and you're going to think, dude, I haven't been living Christianity right for years. Yeah. 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 And then bang, and it's like, dude, yeah. this is way better than anybody has ever told me. <laughs> like, dude, how can you love your enemy? Dude, I'm in the promised land, baby. I'm in the, I'm in the faith. Walking in it daily. How are you doing that? Faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary. Why do you love somebody that praise God? You love that person. And they just talk bad about you. You just love that person with all your heart. You're such a good 
Faith in Christ. That's it. Yes. Oh, he loved me when I was an enemy. That's it. How can I not? Yeah. How can I not? If you knew the grace he showed me, how can I not show grace? That's right. Amen. We can talk about this forever, but anyway, I'm going to move on. 